service. Hey, I'm Jake Brennan, and I want to tell you about Disgraceland, the award-winning music and true crime podcast that I host. Disgraceland tells the stories of musicians getting away with murder and behaving very badly. Fleetwood Mac, Nipsey Hussle, Cardi B, Ozzy Osbourne, Taylor Swift, Tupac, The Beatles, Amy Winehouse, Jay-Z, The Grateful Dead, and so many more. This is not the music history you've heard before. This is an uncensored, immersive look at the lives of musical icons as seen through the crimes they've committed or that have been perpetrated against them. Did Jerry Lee Lewis murder his fifth wife? What really happened to Sam Cooke in that seedy motel at 3 a.m.? And how did the Rolling Stones wind up sleeping with the First Lady? Wait, what? New episodes of Disgraceland drop every Tuesday with bonus episodes released on Mondays and Thursdays. So get in, buckle up, and join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll That is tricky. I, and you really need the 12-string to make that pop. I, you know what I love? I love power chord double stops. That old business. There we go. I'm gonna read through some of this uh, stuff here. That's kind of my director's, you know, thing. Boom. Hey there, it's me, Chris Shiflett, and you're watching another incredible episode of Shred with Shifty. First thing I wanna talk about here today is where are the videos? When we started this podcast, the whole idea was it was gonna be kind of interactive. I need your help. I need you to learn the solos and post them and tag me, because. Off the bat with Alex Lifestone, we got a few of them. And then it was an immediate drop off. Rivers, no. Lindsay, no. Niall, no. Nothing. We've been giving you guitar solo gold and you're supposed to be filming yourself, learning them, playing them, posting them so we can watch them and review on our review episodes. Pick up the pace, people. We need your, we need your help here. Where am I? Where am I? And I made it short too, and I still can't remember it. Isn't that fucked up? I know, I don't know. If you haven't heard, I'm gonna be down playing a solo gig October 6th, the night before I play ACL with Foos. I'm playing a solo gig at Antone's with my buddy Ellis Bullard, whose last name I am probably mispronouncing, I don't know. Um, we'll find out on, on October 6th. And did you know, We've entered a new phase of pre-orders for my record, Lost at Sea. That's coming out on October 20th, but if you go to chrisshifflettmusic.com right now and you order it, pre-order it with a bundle or even without a bundle, we're going to send you four alternative versions of songs from the record that you won't get anywhere else. And, uh, and that'll be way ahead of the record coming out on October 20th. 
So get on it, people. Let's get those bundles. I know we're already low or maybe even out of the blue vinyl, but there's all kinds of other stuff. Football scarves, coffee cups. It's going to be great. And uh, follow me on social media. You know, and don't forget, you can always watch the ad-free versions of Shred with Shifty over on volume.com slash Shifty. Ad-free. All right, that's it. All right, Richie Sambora is today's guest. You know him, you love him from all those Bon Jovi hits. Hits like Dead or Alive, which is the solo we dug into today for this episode. We also got way into the weeds on songwriting. Um, and by the way, this is Richie Sambora's first ever podcast appearance. We had the honor of, of uh, his first ever time on any podcast anywhere. And yes, of course, we did talk about whether or not he's going to be rejoining Bon Jovi for some touring. Um, and by the time this thing posts, maybe that issue will be resolved, but we talk a bit about that and what's going on in his world. So let's jump into it. This is Richie Sambora on Shred with Shifty. This is historically... My first podcast. Well, welcome to the show, Richie Sambora. Thank you for having me. Hey, what are you playing today? I could get anything. I could get anything you want. Out of all your guitars, what's your number one? What's the what's like your Desert Island one? The one that means the most to you? Man, it changes all the time, man. I got a I got a Martin back. Dig this for a story. So I got a Martin back uh, from the shop. It was nineteen forty one uh, D eighteen that. I was playing sessions in the city, in New York City, and I didn't have a good acoustic guitar yet. And uh, so I used to rent this one from a drum, guy, a drum guy named Artie. And Artie just had this beautiful 50, uh, 41 uh, D18. I would rent it and play the session, get back to him. Then I got some bread, made some money, bought myself uh, like a pristine one, ran into him, and I said, would you be interested in shading that straight up? No, and full well, mine was more, mine was more expensive, and he was getting a better deal. But I wanted the one with the soul. Of course, yeah, the one that already yeah. has the scratches on it, yeah. You know, like lots. It's a, yeah, it's been played, worn, and it just records beautiful. So. And did that like is that like one of those magic guitars in your collection that you went on to write all those hits on? One of them, you know. I write. I don't know. I can write songs. I think on anything. Sure. I just bang on things, you know. Yeah, if you you know, a lot of times if you just sing it, like when I did, when Bad Medicine was like a real blues song, my, my old lady was doing me wrong at the time, just came flying out of my mouth, you know. Your love is like bad medicine, and bad medicine is what I need. Whoa, whoa shake it up. Yeah, you know, it's, it's gone. Listen, I know we're focusing on the guitar solo in, in Wanted Dead or Alive today, but since we're talking a little bit here about, about uh, songwriting and all that and, and guitars in your collection, I was wondering if you, before we get into all that, if you could just show me how you play that intro, the 12-string intro bit. So, uh, yeah, I had played a gig the night before. I was already in Bon Jovi, but I had my own band and stuff like that that I would wo work out with. Uh, Richie Sambora and friends, who was there, like session guys that were in town, just got friends, all friends, things like that, you know, or myself, acoustically, stuff like that, you know. And uh, I played the night before, and it was a pretty late night, early evening. And uh, John was coming over to write, and I said, Do me a favor, bring some pizza. 
I'll see you about one thirty. I got up a little early and uh, went to my mother's basement, which is subterranean. <laughs> Cement, old-time hockey, next to a swamp. And uh, I, think, I think I might have had a puff or two. And uh, I sat down with the 12-string, which I play a lot of, because I played a lot of acoustic gigs on 12-string, and uh, which really taught me a lot about rhythm and being a whole band by yourself kind of thing. And uh, I don't know, I was messing around, and that, that riff just came out, just passing the D, you know, uh, passing the chords through that D, a cascading kind of downward riff, and it was like, oh, I never heard that before. <laughs> you know, it was like kind of a moment, one of those moments. I don't know if this is insane. Guys didn't leave me a pick or nothing. No pick. That's not fair, because that was actually part of my question for this, was are you picking it and finger-picking it at the same time, or is it all uh, some, You know what? I don't know. Sometimes both. Depends on the night. Yeah, and but this, it, this is all right. Not bad. 1964, nice. Martin. Nice. Beautiful. Right, so, see, so I'm basically passing the chords. Right? Can't get up there. Okay, so are you are you picking all that? Because I was I was trying to figure this out last night before before this interview to do the research, and I was doing this kind of like picking it and plucking it. You know what? I, I think it's you know what I I gotta say I. I really haven't listened to uh, the record in a long, long time, but I, I, I listen to a lot of live versions. By the way, I watched the live version from the Moscow show last night when you came out with that, like, triple neck ovation. What was it? It was like a mandolin, a six-string, and a 12-string? Yeah, a mando, a six... Yeah, ovation just about shit when I asked them to build that one for me. <laughs> I bet. No, they brought, like, tension experts in from, like, all different, you know different places that were like violin and cello builders and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And I freaked Charlie out when I, because it, that, you're talking about like a carbon graphite back. Oh, this one sounds better. You know what? I don't know, man. Well, how, how do you keep that, that B string quiet? Are you just kind of like muting it with your first finger? What's, what, how are you doing that? It's sometimes it's kind of uh, uh, overtly ringing in certain spots, but it's very quiet. Oh, okay. So it, I'm hitting a little bit. Um, it's my attempt to go back and forth, but it's really the dynamic role of it. That makes it desperate. Right. See, that, that's the story about it. You know what? You can pass through those licks. Basically, it's like, okay, you know, on these last three strings, it's, uh, that's an F against a D. E minor, right. D minor, C, A minor, G, D minor. So you're basically just passing it over an F.
And was that like the first, was that the first bit of it? Were you just noodling around, came up with that, and then wrote the song around that, or did that come after? Yeah, no, then, then it became, I was a modern-day cowboy at that point in my mind. <laughs> I, I saw myself On almost a steel horse you ride, baby. You know, sometimes not lately. <laughs> as you as you i'm sure well but, uh, okay okay that kind of brings me to the next thing though that of course is on i'm sure everybody's mind because you were talking about this in an interview recently about potentially uh rejoining bon jovi has there been has there been any movement on that is that is that uh is that happening we're talking, you, talking you know it? we're talking about it what does talking about it look like is that like you on the phone with with john talking about it or is it like yeah, it's that. It's it's. Um, there's a demand out there for it, you know. Of which course, is, especially outside of the USA, you know. I mean, we were really? a, a larger band outside this con- uh, outside our own country, and um, <laughs> gladly. Wow, I had no idea. You guys were so big here. That's hard to imagine. When you start like doing shows like in Mumbai and and. You go through places, you know, I, like it was like we just we we stayed out for like, you know, 16, eight month, 18 months. You guys do the same thing. You know, that's a long way. So you try to get as many places as you possibly can. Sure. And visit say hello to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's your friends. And that's that's important to keep that going. But man, too much for me now. You know, if you hey, I don't know. We're talking about, you know, various amounts of things. And I, it's just like. If it feels good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How long's it been? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we played together. Oh, right. Sure, of course. You know, no. It fit like a glove, man. I mean, it sounded awesome. And it was like, uh, shut those other two guys off. (laughs) You know, I'm telling you. If you, you know, you watch the other stuff from Wembley and some of that shit. I mean, you know what Wembley is like. There's something about that is a great place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The vibe it's, there is just superb, vibe. you know. I think in London, too, just in general, it's just a music town of uh, so many. The British Invasion, man, got me right off the bat. It's a different kind of fan over there, too. It's a, it's a, it's a I, I don't know. It's just exactly. a different, different dynamic at the shows. It's loyal, like, man. Fo- loyal fan, that's right. It's right? It's a kind of fan, yeah. Stick with you. Yeah. If you stick with them, they'll stick with you. yeah. You know, and basically that. You know what? They understand a passionate performance, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More uh, somehow, it's a, it's yeah. on a deeper level. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're having a real good time. You know, vicious crowds, man. I love it. Well, I'm I'm sure you know. I speak for everyone and saying I hope that that happens. So we'll just we'll just wait and maybe that by the time this airs, it'll it will have already happened. We'll see. Oh, are you kidding me? I, I got like twenty songs written for him. I got a folder that says John on it, you know. Oh, just nice. In case he... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, no, no, I do have have some songs like on ice, yeah, for sure. But I always, you know, I try to write every day. Well, let's let's talk about your guitar playing before we get into this. So let's just talk about you. As for a- God's sake, let's talk about that. How old were you when you started playing? Like, when did you first pick up a guitar? I was thirteen and a half. Uh, but I was playing like I, I was making believe I was the Beatles and the Stones. I had this like piece of shit guitar, and I would put them. It had you know the records on in my room, 
and I stand in the mirror and make believe I was there for like a long time. And just like for like even like a half hour a day, 40 minutes a day was part of my routine, you know? And I was actually figuring out like, all right, I bet you this was John's part. And I tried to kind of mimic it and sing with it at the same time. So essentially, I got to the point where I was playing like Led, Air Led Zeppelin, but not Air Led Zeppelin with strings. And I was imagining where it would be. And then I just taught myself where the notes were, and I had the muscle memory and dexterity. So you can say I learned ass backwards. I was a breech baby. Okay, interesting. So did you, did you not take it like a lot of lessons? No, none. Really? No, no, I strike that. I took my first lesson at 52 by my good friend and teacher every once in a while, Lawrence Juber. And he's a master of alternative tunings. And I don't know if you like play on different tunings, man. You know, I played with Joni Mitchell a couple of times and her tunings are whacked, but they're beautiful. And then, but just playing in different tunings, it's a real, like, you can't do it without thinking about it for a while. It's like a whole right. other language, yeah. you know? But I wanted him to cut down. I saw him play in Norm's, you know. My good friend Norm out here has a great shop. Walked in one day, his back was to me, sounded like two guys ago. How the hell is he doing that, man? You know? Yeah. And I walked around and I said, well, I'm going on tour for like 18 months. When I come back, will you teach me that shit? Yeah, he said, yeah, and that's what we did. So I had my, I was 52. No shit. So when you were a kid just figuring it out, you were just, what, listening to the records and kind of working it out with your friends? Or how how'd you put that together? No, just, just by myself. Wow. Yeah, it kept me off the streets, man. Right. Seriously. I didn't live in the best of neighborhoods, but it turned out of it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, judging from uh, the guitar collection behind you, I'd say you're doing just fine. When you were first learning guitar, like who were the guitar players that made you want to not just be a guitar player, but be a lead guitar player? Well, Hendrix is uh, because of the emotion that he, like, you know, I had older neighbors and they were really my friends and shit and we'd just sit around and listen to music and stuff and they would turn me on to stuff I didn't know and I knew it kind of young. And I wasn't able to go to the first Woodstock I was like 10. And my mother wouldn't let me or something, of course. But guys like him, of course, Jeff Beck, Johnny Winter, yeah. Johnny Winter was a tremendous blues guitar player. I mean, sure. if you want to listen to an amazing Johnny Winter and live, <laughs> look up to that kind of thing. But obviously, Led Zeppelin. I got signed to, I got signed to Zeppelin's label when I was 19 and a half. That was my first. Right. To a record that never came out. Did you, did you get to interact with them at all at that time? Like, were they actively involved? No, in no, they were, all messed, uh, they were fighting and shit by the time I got signed. Right, right. I mean, I've made a record in New York City, which was uh, amazing, you know, for me at that time. I was doing sessions and stuff like that, but I was, you know, a record deal was a big thing back then. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, you. I was just about to ask you what was the first lick that you learned that was like, I'm a lead guitar player now, but I think you might have just answered it. Yep. I just need ringers on my foot. What, what are you playing right there? What guitar is that? I can't see through the through through. This Riverside. is a Charvel that they're making now. That was the what like I that's what mine was a slab of wood. But I put I had Charvel just make it's like one pickup, a Jeff Beck pickup that I wanted, you know, Floyd, and a volume. Nice. And it got no lacquer on the neck. It's like a piece of wood. Yeah. That thing's just this a is hot a new, rod. No, no, this is a new one. It's tremendous, right? But this time, look, they put a, they put a uh, single coil in the neck, and all you got to do is push it down, and then you go to the single coil. Oh, no. Wait, is that like your... Dumb. What are you playing through? What amp and like you know pedals and delays? Dude, nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the smallest Vox with the effects. Oh, really? You see, you're playing through a real amp. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah, it's too deaf. Yeah, it's like I just this little. I love it. It's uh, you know, you, it's it. It's got about oh, four inch speakers. <laughs> I have five. I don't know what it is. Yeah, little. Clearly, yeah, all you need makes a big sound. Yeah, well, I'm also sitting in like a big hallway, but no, you know what? It's it's loud. It's it's on ten watts now. Yeah, I, I love I love those small amps the way they break out and break up. It's well, it's you know, beautiful. It's not only that, this one's got different amp different amplifiers you switch from and shit. All right, we're gonna take a break. We'll be right back after this. Guitar players, we all have like our little grab bag of licks that we go to when we pick up a guitar, like in a guitar store that you've never played before and kind of test it out and see how the neck feels and see how it, see how it fights you back, see how the action is. Like what's your go-to? Richie Sambor walks into the Guitar Center vintage room and picks up that 59 Les Paul and plugs it in. What are you, what are you playing when you do that? I don't do that. I don't. I, I, I go. I go. I go to a couple That's places, the best man. Answer yet. 
No, no, no. I don't do that shit. You know what? I, I got a couple guys that I've been dealing with, you know, and it, that that are they're really close to me because I've been working with them for 35 years, all right? So now the metamorphosis of buying an amazing guitar 35 years ago and then holding on to it and still having it. And I have a multitude of those. Not only uh, the physical love to play uh, every damn one. And then, God, the value just, just went through the damn roof. When you were first coming up, were you just finding like beautiful vintage strats and Les Pauls and no, I was coming up. I didn't, own, no, I didn't have nothing when I was coming up. I had a couple of guitars, man. I had a really nice Explorer that I customized and a one Les Paul and a Strat that was all right and an, uh, an acoustic ovation. And they got stolen from the JFK Puerto, uh, Puerto Rican Democratic Club in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. <laughs> right before we were going on the biggest tour of our lives back then. Yeah, we are going to Japan, you know, and it, it, was, it was pretty good. I mean, amazing. I love playing. Japan is one of my favorite places, by the way. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Clean, yeah. integrity. People are awesome. And uh, I, I love, I play there all the time, man. Please. Give me a gig. Love it there. Yeah, so uh, right before, the, the day before we're leaving, I'm going, Jesus, I think maybe God is telling me I need to switch to a real Stratocaster. And I went for the Chevelle. Just a slab of wood. That was your first one? That was the first Chevelle, yeah. And I still have I still play it all the time. It's upstairs. I mean, I have some of it, so what, okay. The Guild is, uh, the Guild is, you know, that's one. Uh, I played on the Guild. Oh, really? Still got it. I got, bun I got, like yeah. Like on, on the album, that's what that was. Like a Guild 12 string. Yep. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I got one buddy of those. I'm going to go home and play that lick on it now. Yeah, you should. Yeah. That's the one. Of that's course. the one, man. And a friend of mine worked at the Guild factory in Linden, which was only about maybe eight miles away from my house. Down the, uh, you know, down the highway from my house, you know? And he goes, hey, man, you got something like, like, like 500 bucks? I go, yeah, I could get 500 bucks. He goes, come, it's like all these amazing guitars, if they got a nick on them, like a factory, like what are those things? Oh, like a second, yeah. So I got a 12-string and that for like 500 bucks. Because they had, you know, finished nicks on them and things like that. Sure. Shit to me, you know? Sure. <laughs> yeah, stuff, the stuff you're going to do to it anyway. Um, since, since we're talking about Wanted, Dead, or Alive, what do you remember about the day in the studio that you guys recorded this song? Like, who was there with you? The producer, John Bon Jovi, the band? Yeah, like, what, what yeah, oh, yeah. Listen, we were thick as thieves, man. So, and... I was really pushing a band thing. John, John didn't even, even know if he wanted to be a band yet. I'm going, we are a band already, fool. You know? We just like, we came out the road, we came up the road with the Scorpions for nine months. And uh, you think like that was not a band? Because I think it was a band. I saw you guys around, I, don't, I think it might have been your first album tour. I don't remember. You guys were opening for Rat 
at Irvine Meadows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, we were good by then. Yeah. They had the unfortunate uh, situation where the power went out in the middle of their set. That's happened to me at Madison Square Garden because, wait a minute, the sound man's like girlfriend spilt a beer on the SSL or something. (laughs) 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 And John got all mad. I didn't. It didn't matter. I looked at it as an opportunity because I don't know. He's got to play the garden so many times, you know. I mean, from New Jersey, right? Sure. And, uh, it's an opportunity for a drum solo. No, no, no. You know what I said? I go, come on. And right, and it, it made the paper right in the middle. Of the, just sat down with acoustic guitars and started some sing-alongs with the audience. Oh, nice. With no PA. And PA's going to come on like 20 minutes. Okay. I got 20 minutes in, in me. No problem. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and people loved it. And it was... It wasn't your normal Madison Square Garden gig, you know. But people, but those are the shows people remember as like the magic ones, you know, where the where the problem happened, but you didn't buckle because of it, and you turned it into something. Man, special. I was doing Have a Nice Day one night, and I'm doing these Pete Townsends, you know, and I got this uh, white guitar, not this one, but like one uh, one of my other models, uh, you know, down down the road, and I'm getting all punk and stuff, and I, I'm doing some. Windows and my wrist got caught on the bridge, and I was bleeding like a sow. But it was a rock and roll moment. It didn't oh, stop. Yeah. Blood everywhere. Yeah. Pictures, people taking pictures. I'm going, this is perfect. Yeah. Keep bleeding. Keep playing. It's perfect. Just keep bleeding. Yeah. Keep playing. You know, it was, <laughs> it was a moment. And it, you know, it was at the garden, which is good. What do you remember about that day in the studio when you were when you were recording the song and recording the uh, show? Like we we uh, we we had a busy day. I forgot what we recorded before that, but uh, you know we all went out to dinner and got a little, little bit, you know, and, and it was just Bob in the band, and, uh, and I said, "Come on, man, this is the right mood for Wanted right now," because we were all in kind of a little bit. We weren't like too messed up, but. We were nice. We're sailing. You know, feeling everybody good. was feeling and, the same way. Bob Rock was producing. That's, is that right? Yeah, Bob. Well, Bob it, at that point was the engineer, but a producer for sure. You know, I mean, I, I always looked at him as that, and still do. I work with him all the time. So he's a brilliant guy. He can do everything from Metallica to, to you know, uh, Blue Blood. I've worked with him sure. on many different genres. Many different genres. He's he's pretty amazing and a real good songwriter and uh, a good guitar player. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've written a bunch of good stuff with him. I got stuff on ice. It'll be coming one of these days. Okay, so when when you're going into the studio, like uh, to generally speaking, or even for the, for this song in particular. Do you map out what you're going to play? Like, do you know what you're going to play that, uh, for the solo before you get there? Or do you just kind of wing it till you hit no, it? No, no, no. And- no, 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 no. I, I, you know what? First of all, I'm not thinking about that, man. I'm thinking about laying a groove. Right. That's insatiable first, right? Yeah. So that's all right, the trio of acoustic guitar, 12-string, bass, drums, pilot vocal. Right? Yeah. You know?
Nice. Anyway, you slice it, man. <laughs> so you guys lay it down, and then what? And then what? You start. You start just like, like you know, noodling around till you find the right thing for the for the solo. No, 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 no. We were we had pre production for that record. Okay. And what do you what are you playing through? Do you like? Do you remember what guitar, what amps, what pedals, and all that? Oh sort of yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I just owned a Marshall like uh, JCM one hundred. That was a good one. And I had a, what was I playing at the time? My Charvel. And Bob had already been successful and knew the world of vintage guitars. At that point, I really didn't. And he had a couple of guitars, so I used one of his Les Pauls and one of his real good, like, old strats on maybe a part, rhythm part here or two. But... It was mostly Black Charvel on everything, just with different settings and different, uh, you know, saturation EQ things like that. Sure, a lot of fifty watt, a lot of fifty watt plexis, really. Oh wow, cool, cool, cool. And some high watts, so I buy amp like a high watt with the Marshall. I run them both together, kind of thing. And yeah, I run them both together, and then then add the talk box, and I blow out my damn teeth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you came of age playing in the 70s, right? I mean, that's like when, when you were, I'm assuming you were growing up. I'm a child of the 60s, but just a refugee of the 70s. But like, you know, you're, you're a young man in, in the 70s getting a record deal, playing around. Like the production was so different. Hey, playing around, I was playing. Well, but by the, you, time, you so by the time you get into the Bon Jovi years, production has evolved quite a bit from the 70s. Very different. So I'm curious... I'm curious what that was like for you, sort of living through that evolution and, and you know playing all all those huge hits with that '80s production, and then sort of like you know what that felt like at the time and what how you view that those sounds and those records now from this you know from this vantage. Oh, I think that I, you know what I've changed. You know, follow me through. I played different, so many different layers of guitars on every track. Right. Besides having to write them, not, and I mean. Conceptually, people don't, you know, they go, guitar players, they don't write lyrics or titles or anything, like that, or concepts. I go, uh, wrong. I mean, because you, you, and, you and John wrote all those songs, right? No, 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 because honestly, look, look here, here's the, the, and this is why. Because okay. I can look at him and go, no, that's, they'll hate you for that. We got to deliver it in a different aspect. You Lyrically, and, and and my life was much more colorful than his, and he'll tell you that. Everybody will tell you that. I have, was having a damn good time for myself. <laughs> and I was very, very passionate about what I was doing. Sure. Uh, and and I think that time is really uh, the wealthiest thing anybody has on this planet. And how you spend it, who you're with. Uh, you know, I just tell all my girlfriends, you never got to worry about anything. I go. Um, I got like a 200 girlfriends. <laughs> These babies right here. When you're writing those songs at that time, you're not just writing the guitar parts. You're writing the lyrics. You're writing the vocals. You're, you're, you're involved in the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Every, yeah. Everyone. Except for a few because I didn't want... They seem to be more personal. They wanted my input. And of course, I just... That was when I lent production. And uh, I enjoyed not being a part of the writing of 
a lot of songs because just whatever where he was at, I wasn't at. Right. <laughs> comes out of like just orchestration you know yeah within the chordal structure of things and then uh, sus is an important thing the seventh is an important thing all those chords are important thing sure you know for mood it's like you know I, I, I look at songs like a sonic painting yeah like, wow, well, that life feels like that. You feel that way. It's like a movie. Modern day cow, modern day cowboys, and then in actuality, we're riding into town, whooping and the wambling. We're here to take the money and the women, and then we'll be on our way to the next town, do the same damn thing. The lyrics match the dynamic of the music, and it's all coming from the life that you're living at that time. Yeah, and also I really wanted to bring acoustic twelve string back to pop radio, like Led Zeppelin. Well, we were having this dis discussion actually before we jumped into the interview. Is is that the intro to "Want a Dead or Alive" the most famous twelve string rock and roll riff? No, <laughs> no, it's it's unique. I think that everybody wants to play it because. It, it it's it's complicated, but it's not. Well, it does that great trick where it sounds more complicated than and when you. Figure well, you it, gotta have oh, a yeah. you have to have a few skills. Sure. <laughs> you know, not like you can't. You could be like you know. Well, if you're Mozart, of course. But it, and I don't. I'm just talking about you know just to go. just says where are we we are wanted dead or alive yeah it looks dark <laughs> in there man <laughs> no but so i try to actually it, within the riffs put a feeling into it like you know if i'm doing uh I said, like, the rhythm parts to me, they're, they're, that's the art of it. Sure. 
Make them memorable too. Of course. I mean, what was that like when you were first coming up and there was that period where all of a sudden Eddie Van Halen comes along, kind of redefines lead guitar, and then you've got Randy Rhodes, you've got Ingvay Malmsteen, you know, all those guys kind of in that short little period of time. And then it seemed like almost out of the blue, everybody could play like a million miles an hour. I mean, was that for you as a working guitar player at that time, did you feel like you had to go sort of like sit down and woodshed a bunch of crazy fast stuff or was that just kind of already in the ether you're already going there you know what There's, those speeds were in me and i knew cats that did that like in new jersey right i used to do it you know I, I, Fucking scalular Hendrix, you know what I mean? And tapping and all that. You yeah, know? yeah. So, uh, if you're playing lead solos and you actually change within the chords or the sympathetic chords around those lead solos, you're not playing patterns. You're actually singing in your head, you know? coming you know you're just not scholarly thinking right like i just made that shit up well it's one of the things i like about your lead guitar playing in particular is obviously you've got you know skills for days and can do all that stuff but a lot of the time you're you're not doing that you're playing more sort of memorable melodic parts try to just then aren't just like a million you know just shredding a million miles an hour Beatles, those records you know yeah Bob Dylan records, really. Hey, this is Shred with Shifty. We got to take a little break, pay the bills, and we'll be right back after that. Well, there were a lot, there were a lot of solos I listened to today, or, you know, in the last couple of days, sort of go, heading into this, like, uh, it was hard to decide which which one to break down. You know, like, Living on a Prayer, Bad Madison, and I Love Only Lonely. A lot of people wanted Dry County, um... But uh, but I'm glad we're doing one a dead or live. Richie, are you ready to uh, to uh, break this thing down and get into the weeds on your guitar solo, buddy? Yeah. Okay. So real quick, a little bit of housekeeping. We're in standard tuning on this song. On the song, uh, the song's in D. Yeah. Solos moving around in like D minor pentatonic uh, boxes. But it didn't take me long. But I had an idea, and it's kind of interesting because I put chords in the solo, right? So there's, 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 well, I, I forgot where I was there for a second. Right yeah. Um, I love that part.
Is is that is that octaves or is that power chords? I think the first, the, but I switched in the middle to that because I went whap me mid mouth. So that's yeah. exactly what it is. That's exactly. All right, just two of those, right? Yeah, it's that it's that little bend sizzle that's nice in there, and then you, and then uh, uh, the uh, the the pinch harmonics. Okay, so how are you doing that? Because I because to me I'm like I feel like I'm kind of doing it lazy. Are are you picking every note on that, or are you sliding around? Are you, yeah, cross picking on it on the B. You got it. Okay, so you're up there starting on the 12th fret on the blue string. Slow motion. Yeah. Back pick on nice. the back couple, right? Beautiful. Love it. Um, let's play that whole little section there. Now we're going back down. And then is that is that sounds to me like on the record, that's where like some power chord double stop things come in. Is that what you're doing? Yep. Let's go to the videotape, Marv. Well, that's the thing about recording and live. Like, you record these things, and it's just kind of what you did that day. And then you go out and you tour it for 30 years, and it becomes something totally different. No, but this is what's really funny. All that stuff is amazing. You're right. Now, I go play with Zach. Zach is doing, like, the CMT Awards. And it's, like, at Tennessee State, where there's 70,000 people, ABC, 10 million people, easy watching it on TV, because country, whatever. He plays it in F. I'm going, well, that's interesting. Wait, is he singing that up? Or you is he singing that listen, you can, when you start to adjust keys, and I, I learned that when I was doing that masked crazy singer thing. I don't know if you know Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Right? I, was, I used to be a wedding band, so I covered a lot of songs. And then, so they asked me to do all these. I didn't even pick them, but I had to put them in the right key for me so I could get it across. Sure. You know, because they were asking me to do a lot of chick songs. <laughs> because they don't want, it's a, it's a funny show, man. They don't want you to know anything. What gender, what color, anything. You're like, a, I'm a potato head. I was a potato head, Mr. Potato. Right. Jack right. Potato. I almost made it to the finals where I was going to just do It's My Life and just forget about it. Take the mask off and go, it's me. I don't want to win. I don't really care. Right. Mic drop. But I made it to week seven. The chick that beat me was called Piece of Cake. That was her costume. And she did You Could Love a Bad Name. My first number was they go and beat me with it. Oh, for real? And did, she didn't know that she was going up against you? No. Nobody knows anything. It's an ingenious show. 
<laughs> How'd that feel to get beat with your own song? People don't do not understand the intensity of that show. We don't have to go into it. I don't want to show it, but wow, it was the most entertaining and challenging thing as an entertainer. Well, it's ever. like you lost and you won at the same time, so that's got to feel good. No, I definitely won. I had a good time. I had a good time, and a lot of people saw me on TV. And uh, it was a goof. I think humor is imperative enough. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that final on YouTube. All right, here you go. Now, on that first little bit, how are you fingering that? Because I'm, I'm like hearing something like... Um, and then I thought I heard some kind of little pull-off or something. No, no, it's, 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 it's just a dip of the, uh, the wang bomb. Oh, that's what it is. Watch this. I'll do it soft. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was hearing Good it. I was trying Jeff to figure Beck out what Love Jeff Beck. He's oh, yeah. One of my main guys. Of course, yeah. And became became my friend, and I'm so sad. And uh, him and I were good buddies. We played a few different events with Jeff Beck, all in kind of a short period of time. It was maybe like two or three different events that we just happened to be at, that he was at. And um, you know, I was a guitar player. It's like Jeff. What a cat! He's one of the one of the one of the all time all timers. Um, and I tried so hard to small talk with him and meet him and talk to him. And, um, and it just, it just didn't, uh, I didn't connect. And finally, the last time, I don't remember, remember exactly what it was. I was just, I was just fanboying out on him. My wife leans over and goes, honey, he doesn't want to be your friend. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, okay, I get it. You know what I think? I believe that, you know, a person gets up to a certain capacity of people that he can understand and uh, when you get, like, older or whatever like that, and then he's got to take care of that. Well, he's Jeff Beck. He's got, like, everybody he comes into contact with wants to have that moment with him, you know? There's only so uh, many of those you moments know, to go The around. first time I played with Jeff was at the NAMM show. It was me, Eddie Van Halen, Jeff, and Dweezil. Oh, wow. Zappa, who can play like an ass. He's fucking amazing. And, you know, and I find myself with Jeff, and I like to play with high action sometimes, too. You know, and Jeff likes high action. You know, he likes very low action. And we're playing, and kind of we're all switching guitars and stuff like that, you know. Listen, my, this is about raw, isn't it? So... You know, there's something special about stringing the guitars on the backwards on that neck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Why? The E string is the low E string. Now the longest string. Oh, does it like resonate a little different? Yeah, yes, it does. Oh, wow. Of course. Yeah, that makes a difference. That's what Jimmy Hedges played. He played... Or lefty guitar, righty. 
So that string was in. So the big long piano string down that low E bar. Right. It's got more string. All you gotta do is just, you know, get a lefty neck somehow. Put on anything. Hey, you're listening to Shred with Shifty. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Well, I think what you're doing is something that is a lick that I love and have tried to do a million times. And oftentimes playing live, I fall on my face when I'm trying to do this. It's that first thing where you're going something like... You gotta find it where it whistles, see? I always struggle with that one, like holding that bend up to the fifth in the right place and then kind of pedaling on the other one. Put the pressure between your thumbs so you can grab the neck that way, see? There you go. Slow it down. You got it. Yeah. Then find a place on the guitar you hit those triple harmonics. Oh, how are, what, are, what are those? Are those like pinched harmonics? How are you doing that? You play with the side of your pick. Oh, man, I'm blowing the pinched harmonics. No, you're not. No, no, you're not. There we go. There we go. There you go. I need more gain, goddammit. But no, you don't. You got it right. (laughs) Okay, good. Good, good, good. Yes. I love that look because it's it's almost like that country thing of like, you know. It's like seems like it's in that in that way. It's every blues like this. So it's a, it's a train lick. Love it. It's the attitude. That's the thing about the like train. It's the attitude that you put into it that makes the. That's like the. That's how you bring the style. I love well, it. Well, that's what when I said refer to Hendrix, and Clapton, and Pagey, and then all their forefathers that you trace back. Whatever they played, we had emotion. Sure. Big time. All day, all night. All right, I'm getting a Charvel. With the reverse headstock and a Floyd Rose and a Jeff Beck pickup. That's it. I'm going to the guitar store after this. Yeah, yeah. You um, know what? It, it, you just love it. I'm, I, 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 yeah. Dr. Sam Boyle. Sure. Um, hey, listen. How, what, what's, 
What's that power chord kind of double stop thing you do, palm mute thing at the end? Because that was, I also could not figure that out. But I, I, uh, I'm trying to figure it out for you. I, uh, I play it different all the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going. All down strokes. So are you just kind of are you kind of palm muting down those down those like power chords? Got it. So you know it's my Judas Priest training right there. Oh, I love it. Yeah. No, but you know what? Nobody put chords in a solo. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like an upside down double stop. I love it. Yes, it was orchestration more than it was solo, but the other parts were kind of solo, and then all of a sudden. There were certain parts of it that were orchestrated in my head. I might have done two or three takes. I don't remember. But I think that's one take. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the magic one. Can you play it one more time all the way through just to put an exclamation point on it? Yes. Do it exactly like you did when you were sitting there. Well, I watched so many people break down solos. It's always a little bit incorrect. So I just thought, you know, if you go to the you see what they really did. I gotta go in from the riff so I understand where the fuck I was, right? That's right! Yes, sir. Thank you, Richie. That was fucking amazing, baby. Thank you. I was trying to get, like, I play it the way the fuck I want, right? Same exact structure, different nuance, different guitars that, you know, you pick up, you know, it's an old song. Yeah, stretch it out every night, you know, it just becomes something different. Uh, Wind that out for fun. First off, thank you for coming in and doing this with me today, buddy. But would you uh, would you sit for a minute longer and take some fan questions? And this first one, you you mentioned norms earlier, so I think this is this might resonate a little bit. Matthew Snyder seventy seven wants to know: Have you ever returned from a trip to Norm's Guitar Store and thought, "Holy shit, that escalated quickly"? Yeah, many <laughs> times over. <laughs> Every no. time, right? Yeah. <laughs> You like, don't really get out there unscathed. No, 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 no. 
But uh, wait, wait. Let me say something. Now that's a fair man. All right. Sure. Norman is a wonderful, wonderful man. Dear, dear friend of mine. I love him. Never steered me wrong. He's my friend besides, you know, we do business. You actually sure. have the capability of being able to do that, right? Yeah. You know, because it's fair. I mean, is he one of those guys that you tell him when you're looking for something specific and then he goes out and finds it, finds you like the, the good one? Yeah, I, I don't. I do sometimes just to see if he's got it. He's my sadistic nature. Sure. Because I'll trade something for it. I go, do you have that uh, Gibson, uh, you know, that's custom, that right between 68 and 69, they made about 12 of them, and they didn't have a dot over the eye. Just, sure. Well, like three of them. You know. Of course I do. Yeah. You just keep them on his toes. No, 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 then I got to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, of course. Of course. No, and it was excellent. I used it on stage many, many times. It's not like he gave, he gave me a great guitar, you know. Are you the type of guy when you're um, buying, you know, some new uh, vintage gear or whatever? Are you? Do you have that thing like, well, if I buy this Strat, I got to get rid of that Telecaster, and I got to, you know, is it kind of like things coming in, things going out, or is it just things coming in? Yeah, yeah, but you know, after all the years of you know being involved with different guitar companies, you know. Man, I get like, you know, I design 10 things that are designed for me. Sure. Every year. Yeah. Cruise, uh, you know. So that that's kind of a nice thing. So there's a reservoir over there, you know, that people, some people desire. Who am I? I couldn't stomach really paying for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. I just... You know, I did a lot of buying, you know, like, many years ago, you know. So, when it was, and I was still appalled. Well, you can't beat that old wood. It's just too good. You knew that there would be a couple of questions like this, so I stuck them together. Richard Kerr wants to know, did he really ride a steel horse? And Gavin Miller wants to know, is his love really like bad medicine? My love is like bad medicine, baby. For those who get to taste this nectar. Um, and the steel horse is the bus. Yeah, dumb motherfucker. Oh, steel horse is the bus. I always thought the steel horse was like a Harley or something. That's how I imagine. Watch the video, please. Give me a break. We get off long hair. Listen, in, you know, bum phobia anywhere in this planet, and you're on a bus, and you get up because you want to get something to eat. Take a piss. Stop the movement of the bus. Yeah. Especially in Europe, where the buses stunk back then, you know. And the road stinks, so there you go. And, uh, and the people on the bus stink, stop, usually. And, you know, all these truckers, they go, look at those girls, you know. And then we just came from a town where every girl in that place wanted to, you know, so. Quite the juxtaposition to cause the song. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, you know, modern day cowboy. That's what, you know what? There is, there's a. We need a couple of those, I think. Yeah. Amon Bot 
wants to know, Hey, Shifty, I have a question for Richie. How did he excel in both guitar playing and singing at the same time? Because you are a great singer. Like, how did you, uh, how did you develop those vocal chops? Singing with my heroes, singing with, and I'm very, I love everybody. I try to love music in general. There's, there's not many things I shut out. It's, uh, maybe none, you know, with an open mind. Because sometimes music hits you in one place, and then five years later, when your life is in another place, you'll get it. And it's happened to me. You know, which is still astounding. Like a piece of art might get to you one day, and then, and, but in your life that particular day, it doesn't. So it, it, it all counts for your stuff, you know. So that's why songs are important, you know. And was singing and playing, or did those two things always go hand in hand? Like I said, I was making believe I was doing it, and I, but I was really singing. Right. And I, I had no idea I was a good singer. Just you know, um, until I could, uh, I realized there's a lot of guys out there. They have no idea what they're singing about. Sure. And they, you got to make sure you get you got to put your life in that lyric somehow. And I realized at a very young age, so that made me so much different than everybody else because nobody else studied that hard. Right. So you're, true stuff. you're singing the way you're singing because it's the lyric that you're singing is actually like real life to you. Yeah, and then you go to your vocal teacher and learn how to keep your chops and get better at it. Right, 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 right. Oh, that's cool. All right, DTET754. And I actually, I don't remember this exactly, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say about this. He asks, I'd love to hear the story of how the 89 MTV acoustic appearance came to be. I feel like that performance kind of kicked off the whole unplugged thing in the 90s. Clapton, Nirvana, Pearl Jam all had great... Yeah, unplugged. yeah, yeah, that was me, and I did not get paid. <laughs> but I, oh, I, shit. This is... All right. Easy story. All right. What? A big part of MTV. MTV is on. They had to retire our videos already. Right? And uh, I'm living with Cher at the moment. Excuse me. But uh, that's true. And she was playing, too. And the show was like Madonna and Prince and uh, like all this stuff. Now, I had watched previous shows. And it was a Dick Clark production. And my assistant also moonlighted with Dick Clark Productions. And Ken Ehrlich that produced that show and the Grammys. And all right. right. You know. All good people. And um, you can't. Back then, you couldn't touch the microphones. So the 10 microphones that are supposed to be on the drums are like pointing everywhere. These guys are old union cats, man. They're smoking, and you're not allowed to touch the board. So in a pragmatic decision, and playing acoustic clubs and doing that stuff for all my life, I went, let's just give them four inputs. Made it easy. And that's what happened. And you know what? My assistant knew Ken, and Ken introduced me to Dick, and I had been on American Bandstand, that's all. Uh, but that's true, twice. And um, 
He goes, I think that's a great idea because nobody did before. And then Dick went, what are you going to do? I go, what do you want us to do? And that's all we did. And it became legendary. We walked out the building, I kissed her goodnight, and I walked onto a jet and got to the next city. It was just another stop. And then a couple of days later, there's a big hubbub about that, you know. It was just a pragmatic decision on my part. Wow, so that really kicked off that whole MTV Unplugged thing. Yes, and everybody did one. Sure. And I didn't get paid, man. <laughs> I'm going to tell Dave you need a couple right. of points. Yeah, that, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't need no MTV points. Yeah. They, they did me very solidly. They were well, Tom you, Preston and all the boys. That did, I saw that 59 last Paul back there. I think you're doing okay. Uh, Chris Snyder, this is the last question for you. Chris Snyder asks, uh, is there any piece of gear that you've been using all of your career from day one that you're still using today? Yeah, yeah, my accordion. My dad worked his ass off and, you know, like, not, like, get the violin, none of that. You know, but we went, I remember going to Brooklyn and buying that Zonrio. And I've always had it. And over the years, you know, the bellows are uh, paper. So they, the, the cardboard kind of thing, they kind of wear out. So then you can't get the... Velocity. The accordion is a very sadistic instrument, by the way. I recommend no one plays it. Sadistic for you or the... There's 120 <laughs> buttons over here you cannot see. Wait a minute. You're seven years old. The thing is bigger than you. Then there's a piano over here. And then you got to bellow this prick to actually make it, like, have sounds come out of it. And it's a reed instrument. It's beautiful. It's romantic. I still got my first one. I, wow. played, I played it on many records, many records. Was that, and that and was your first instrument? That was my first instrument. And I was good at it like an idiot. Like really good at it. Really? Because I knew, I just could hear, it was like, I just had to learn how the damn buttons over here. I could do scales on these buttons without looking like. Then I had to do this thing, you know. I mean, that makes sense. That kind of transfers over to guitar. That's, that's, that's cool. I get that. And here's the other thing. You cannot get laid playing accordion. <laughs> well, there you go. There's the pull quote from the, uh, from the interview. You can't get laid playing the accordion, and Richie Sambora invented MTV Unplugged. Boom. We're good. Don't, 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 don't do it, really. Buddy, thank you so much for sitting here and taking all this time with me today, man. I really appreciate it. This has been great. You're great. No, you're great, man. Thanks. I love you guys. You know that. Oh, man. Well, we love Foo you. Foo on, my brother. Yeah, we're trying. Don't be fooling around. No, sir. No, sir. I realized when I was watching it that, I was, that he was explaining to me how to play this thing, and I just kept playing it wrong anyway. I, th I think what he was saying to do was this. And I kept going. I think that's what, what he was telling me to do. There's nothing like a power chord double stop. I love that. All right, that was Richie Sambora. Hope you dug it as much as I did. We'll be back in two weeks with Brad Paisley focusing on mud on the tires. That's it for now. Adios, amigos! Wow.
Shred with Shifty is created and hosted by me, Chris Shiflett, and produced in partnership with Double Elvis, Volume.com, and Premier Guitar. If you're digging the show, make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button so you get our new episodes when they come out every other week. Volume.com is a free platform with live stream performances, concert broadcasts, and a video archive that includes performances by Brothers Osborne, Stone Temple Pilots, Dirks Bentley, Weezer, and more. Shred with Shifty is produced by Jason Shadrick. Our executive producers are Brady Sadler and Jake Brennan for Double Elvis. Engineering support by Matt Tahaney and Matt Bowden. Our video editors are Dan DeStefano and Addison Savan. Special thanks to Chris Peterson, Greg Necron, and the entire Volume.com crew. Adios, amigos. Thank you.